we sat down for our first interview with Keegan in January at Torrey Pines and his first thing out of his mouth was the most important thing more than winning another major is me making this Ryder Cup team. And the day that Zach was making his captain's picks, we had a crew down in Florida who had to get from Keegan's house to Ricky Fowler's house in 10 minutes. And we got to Keegan's house and he knew that we were coming. His address was misprinted on the call sheet. And so our producer was at the wrong house. So I had to call Keegan on his cell phone and say, hey, buddy, like, what's your address? We just, you know, I think we're just down the street. Well, we're coming in with the cameras. He said, doors unlocked. Come on in. Cameras roll in. We set up his phone rings and, you know, he gets his heart broken in real time. And, and it's really visceral, real scene. I found out afterwards that getting that phone call, he assumed that it, that meant we were coming because it was a yes. You couldn't watch that episode and then the follow-up episodes that continue to kind of tell Keegan's story as the Ryder Cup is played in Rome without him, uh, it, it, without becoming a Keegan Bradley fan. Welcome back to the Golfer's Journal podcast presented by Titleist, the number one ball in golf. My name's Tom Coyne. Thanks so much for joining us. Why the number one ball in golf? Well, that's, of course, because the Titleist Pro V1 and Pro V1X have set the standard for performance. Both models are engineered to deliver lower long game spin for exceptional distance and consistent flight, as well as that trusted drop and stop greenside control so important to shooting lower scores. The Pro V1 is the best combination of distance, spin, and feel, and delivers a penetrating flight, while the Pro V1X flies a little bit higher, spins more in the short game, while still giving you low spin on longer shots to maximize distance. So learn which is the right ball for you today at Titleist.com. Speaking of low scores and exceptional performance, very soon we're going to be watching the best players in the world do their thing on Season 2 of Full Swing. And we are very excited to welcome Chad Mum back to the podcast to talk about what to expect in this next installment of the Netflix hit series. Chad tells us about the players we'll be following, the reaction to Season 1, and he gives us a few of the storylines that I personally cannot wait to follow and watch from behind the scenes. So if you liked season one, it sounds like you're probably going to love season two. And something else great that we love about Chad, he is a member of the Golfer's Journal. So we hope you are as well. If you aren't, please consider joining us today at golfersjournal.com. Now, quiet please. Next up on the Golfer's Journal podcast, Chad Mum. Well, I'm here with Chad Mum, executive producer of Full Swing. Full Swing heading into its second season. Very exciting. And uh, all our members of the Broken Tea Society, uh, I know we're big fans of season one and our conversation about season one. So thanks so much for coming back on to talk about what we can expect in season two. First, I'd love to get your golf story, Chad, a little bit. I know you are a dedicated player and a very fine player. Tell us how you got into golf and the role that it plays in your life. Um, well, Tom, first off, thanks for having me back. Um, I love this conversation we had a year ago. It felt like it was just yesterday, but uh, yeah. I'm happy to be back here. Uh, love the Golfers Journal and um, super excited to be back. So, listen, my golf story I think probably started out like a lot of your listeners here. I, I I first started playing as a little kid. My dad got really into golf in the in the '90s. Um, we were a military family. He was an Air Force pilot. 
So I moved around a lot as a kid. And, uh, you know, the, the joke about Air Force Base is when they build a new one, the runway goes in first, then they build the golf course, then they put everything else up. So, you know, golf and the Air Force have a long history together. So, you know, I, my, my grandfather was also an Air Force pilot. He was an avid golfer his whole life. He, he did a stint with the RAF in, uh, at uh, Lucas Air Force Base, which is across the uh, Firth of Fife, is that, is that the, the right where St. Andrews is? So they used to come in. Firth of Fife, Fife and Fourth, whatever it takes. Five of Earth, yeah. You know, this is a podcast where I can't, I can't get that wrong because I'll get called out for it. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, so so golf was like, you know, it was a part of my life. My first, I remember that I started playing when I was six years old, and um, you know, used to like ride my bike to the golf course with a cart trolley kind of bungee corded to the back of my bike. And I still remember the first time I hit one right in the center. I was at a set of slot off, uh, sawed off Slazenger irons. I hit some five iron like right in the center, and I, that been chasing that dragon ever since that feeling and played pretty competitively as a junior, um, you know, kind of, uh, got a wake up call at a Georgia state high school golf championships when I played in the same field as Brian Harmon and he was several years younger than me. And I think, you know, I played pretty well shot around even par. I think he beat me by 10 shots. So it was uh, pretty, pretty obvious that I wasn't going to do it for a living as a, as a player, but, um, you know, my first ever job actually was, working as a stock boy at a pro golf discount in the suburb of Atlanta. I turned 16. I started working as a range picker and cart boy at a, at a local course. And even during college at UGA, I was working at the driving range. So uh, golf's always been on, on the mind. And the fact that I get to do this for a living now and, and bring this show to life is, I mean, it's a, it's kind of a pinch me moment. It's a dream come true. That's awesome. You know, it's fascinating. You mentioned that the debt that golf owes to military bases and, you know, that's where my dad picked up the game was after Korea being stationed in San Diego. And they had a, you know, they have a lot of golf on the bases there in the Navy for the Navy guys. And, uh, you know, and he would always say you could tell if the commander was a golfer by the condition of the golf courses, like no matter no matter where you went. So, um, yeah, it's uh, there is a, a real debt um, to how many families or people or. Men and women have taken up golf uh, around military bases. Um, sounds like a show, Chad. Um, but not I, here to talk know, about tonight, that. There's an idea. There's an idea in that. <laughs> you don't get pitch shows all day, every day, do you? Um, a little the, bit. Uh, a little bit. Well, let's talk about this show. Uh, let's talk about season one. I mean, a, I, I would say a, a big success. Uh, did... Did the reaction to season one surprise you? Was it what you expected? You know, I think when we talked last year, uh, the show was coming out maybe a week later. And I, it, the impact was a lot bigger than I think I, my wildest dreams, to be honest. I mean, we, we knew we had made something special and there was something really powerful in it. And obviously the golf world had leaned in and, and we we had a lot of real excitement for what we had filmed, but I think that what surprised me most was just how broad the audience was and how many kind of anecdotal stories I heard of someone's family members getting into the show who'd never cared about golf before their spouse, whatever their uncle their aunt, you know, people just falling in love with these stories and, you know, caring in a way that they'd never cared before. I got so many like diehard golfers come to me and be like, yeah, my, my wife or sister or brother or husband, like they love golf now because a full swing. And that is, I think, a testament to the like power of Netflix and the sort of binge habits that people have. But the idea that we could take up, you know, people's time and, and actually like get them to watch, sit down and watch something um, for the eight, you know, episodes of season one was just, it's still so amazing to me. And, 
you know, and then we've been able to quantify some of the impact over the last year. You know, I know that the tour has looked at it. Netflix has looked at it. And we real, I mean, it's, it has had a pretty big impact on growing uh, eyeballs for the tour. And, and, you know, certainly golf is having its cultural moment. And I think our timing couldn't be better for season two. Yeah, no, I mean, hey, when you're watching Netflix, it still pops up there, you know, and or maybe mm-hmm. that's because it's in my interest zone. But there's a lot <laughs> of stuff there I, I wouldn't be uh, interested in. But uh, it's uh, yeah, no, there. It's certainly we all know non golfers who watched it and, and asked golfers questions about, oh, what about that Joel Dame? You know that that that's been very, uh, very exciting. Um, what about reaction from the players who are in the show? So the loudest voices, I think, actually were the hardcore golf media. You know, I got a lot of chirping about explaining the cut in uh, in PGA Tour events, which I will tell you that we heard that feedback. So I don't think we even mentioned it once in season two. So if you're worried about hearing about the cut, let me tell you now, you know, officially, we don't get into that in season two because we can just throw you right into the action. So. You know, look, I think I I give a lot of credit to all the guys that said yes to season one, you know, completely sight unseen. You know, they'd they'd seen Drive to Survive probably or kind of had some idea, but it still meant we were showing up with cameras in some of their most intimate moments and spending a whole year with them. And and they'd never seen the show before. So credit to everybody who said yes to season one to lean in and and actually let us do the thing. And, and, um, you know, they, they. got to finally see it before it came out. And I honestly, the feedback was universally positive. I think I only got one note from a player who was nitpicking the actual dollar amount that he took to go to live where we had said some number and he was like, it wasn't that number. It was $5 million less. So we had to, you know, go back and fact check that piece of it. But, um, but overall, like the players really felt like it was true to their experience, you know, and that's what we had promised them. If you give us your time, then when you watch it, you're, you're going to feel like this is an actual representation of what your life was like. And, and I think that was the best comp we got where players would say, you nailed it. That's what it felt like to be me. Yeah, for sure. And what's $5 million when you're going to live, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, what, what's it? That's yeah. small math. That's, that's funny. Of all, of all the stuff that we captured, <laughs> that was the one thing where I got a player being like, absolutely not. You can't put that in because that's wrong. Uh, it was like, okay, <laughs> that's fine. We'll change it. What was the number? So what was the reaction from, you know, and we're thinking back on the episodes. Um, I think the Brooks episode was one that, you know, surprised people just because it was sort of a, you know, Brooks maybe looking a little more, say, vulnerable or a side of him we hadn't seen. Um, do you know what his reaction was? Was he happy with that, comfortable with that or surprised by it? You know, I you'd have to ask Brooks. I can tell you that he declined to sit for an interview in season two. So, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know exactly. Uh, we tried. I thought his uh, I thought his episode from season one was incredible look at an athlete being truly vulnerable and real in a way that you almost never see in any pro sport, let alone someone who's at the very top of the sport. And to me, I, I became a giant Brooks Kepka fan in the course of making that episode and, and creating the show and, and, you know, remain a giant Brooks Kepka fan. And um, so obviously we wanted to go back and tell his comeback story. You know, we were there filming him, you know, we, we have a lot of access you know, not necessarily off the course, but a lot of access to all these tournaments. And when he won the PGA championship, we thought, you know, this is a great comeback story and we'd love to tell it. And, uh, you know, he, he decided he wasn't going to sit for an interview and that's his prerogative. I think he's got his, uh, 
is he's he's focused on winning majors these days. So um, you know, we we still get to pay off that story, and you'll see in the show. I think we 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 it was really important for us that we still gave him that hero comeback arc. I just I would have loved to have had it in his words, but yeah, that's very interesting because I do think that episode made a lot of Brooks fans. But hey, Brooks, do your thing. Uh, won't see you too much in season two, I guess. Uh, there are a lot of exciting names in, featured in season two that um, I've been poking around and looking at and want to talk about. Um, what's the reaction from uh, from the governing bodies? You know, this is a big was a big step for you know getting access. So you've got to deal with. I mean, what you've got USGA, PGA, PGA Tour, um, PGA because you did the Ryder Cup, I imagine. So um, I don't know how much you deal with the a certain RNA. golf club in Georgia. You know, uh, yeah, no, RNA, RNA, so all of them. So, um, what's it like? What's that? What was their reaction? And and what is it like dealing with, 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 with the governing bodies? They, they've been great. They had, I I think that in many ways, the, the sort of disruption to the golf calendar that happened during COVID is, is part of the reason why this show was even possible because, if you're if you're inside, this can get very insidery, by the way. So stop me if I'm getting like too weedsy. No, we got it. Let's go. Pol- Let's get in the weeds. Politics of pro golf, but like the governing bodies historically have not really collaborated all that often. I think they all occupy their different space, and they they sort of, as far as I understand, you know, they had never collaborated on a singular content initiative before. I mean, they they work with each other on scheduling and they deal with issues together. They're on the governing body of the official world golf rankings, things like that, but they're not like. You know, they don't collaborate on stuff. And Full Swing was the first time they'd ever really all committed the rights and access required to make something like this to one project that they didn't control. And that was like, that was a huge step. And and part of the my understanding is, is because during COVID, they had to remake the entire golf schedule. And they all kind of got around a table or a virtual table sort of for the first time. Now, you know, obviously you can fact check whether that that's true or not, but like, that that seems to be the, the a breaking and sort of a detente in terms of their willingness to collaborate together, and that was the fertile ground with which we pitched coming in and doing full swing. And you know, look, some of them were easier to talk into it than others. I think once Augusta said yes, it, it kind of the dominoes fell with everybody else. And you know, for the most part, once they agreed to be in the show, they they were awesome. They gave us real access. You know, they all have slightly different rules of the road, and we want to be extremely respectful. I think the thing that sold the uh, Augusta in particular, which was the first one to say yes, and it was the one we were focused on kind of most because we felt like we could get the masters on board, you know, is, is the way that I pitched it to him was like, we're not, we're not trying to tell the story of the masters or Augusta national. You guys do that really well. And the, the broadcast does it really well. You obviously have an incredible media operation. You do it really well. Our, our show is set like in the present tense. And what we want to tell is the story of what it's like to compete in the masters in 2023 or in 2024. We're, we're not, we don't have to do the whole history of the club. We don't have to tell all this. You guys do that real well. Let us just come in and, and show audiences what it's like to be a competitor. What's it like to be a family member of a competitor competing at the Masters? And the tournaments, these majors become this sort of venue for these stories, but they're still the, it's still the human stories. It's not the story of the tournament. And I think they, I think they appreciated that. And that was our attitude always, which was, you know, we, we're their guests. We're always, you know, it doesn't matter which tournament we're at, but we're there as guests. And, and our job is is more to tell the story of the player and their emotional journey through these events, the highs and lows of it, uh, as, as, as more that than it is to tell the story of those tournaments. So 
Um, you know, this year we we added a new partner in the DP World Tour. So, you know, we had to tell the Ryder Cup Europe story. So we started working closely with the DP World Tour. You know, it took another year um, after we got the majors on board to kind of talk the Ryder Cup management folks into having the Ryder Cup be part of full swing. I, I think rightly so. They appreciate just how big of a deal the Ryder Cup is. And, and so, you know, it took a little while to kind of convince them that it should live within full swing. And, and, but once they said yes, you know, they were all in and it was really important for Europe in particular to have the portrayal be even, I think they, they were really worried that like it was going to become an all America story and they just wanted their captain and their players to have a platform as well. And so we sort of committed to them and they committed to each other that like, if, if Zach did something, Luke would do something and vice versa. And so that actually created a really nice, healthy like they were pushing each other to give us more access, which was really great. And, um, you know, and, and we got amazing access. The Ryder Cup is was such a gift for us uh, as storytellers because it was stakes that built for an entire season and actually had an end point where we knew that, you know, 12 guys were going to be celebrating and 12 guys were going to be crushed. And, you know, so much of making the show is going and following 12 or 15 guys at a major at a PGA Tour event and hoping someone wins you know, the worst thing that can happen is like a T13. You know, that's hard to make right. a story about a tie for 15th place. But when you get every player either winning or losing, it, it creates real stakes. And then there are also moments leading up to the Ryder Cup, like captain's picks, where we knew it was a, it was a year of drama building to one phone call. And we knew when the phone calls were happening and we knew where they were going to be. So we had cameras there. And I think just seeing that in person or seeing that in the show and that verite of the real-time reactions, it's, that's real. That's as real as it gets. And it's, the, it's, it's an amazing gift to the show to have something that doesn't actually rely on an individual's performance in a golf tournament to really be the payoff that we need to tell a complete story. Uh, the Ryder Cup gave us that arc you know, that you'll see sort of signposted throughout the show. That's exciting. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that when you think about it, really doing the show during a Ryder Cup year, it just gives you, it, it, you know, it gives you a, a third act, a great, a great close there, um, you know, mm -hmm. with all these folks that you've been following. And that's, I don't want to do any spoilers, but I noticed that uh, Keegan Bradley is featured this season. So, yeah, yeah, that, uh, yeah tune, I mean, in for, tune in for that. Good. Good God, Keegan is just such an amazing character and such, was just so amazingly professional with us. You know, he, he, he actually approached me before season one and said, I've watched every single episode of Drive to Survive. I watch Hard Knocks. I know these kinds of shows. I want to be a part of it. And we had already had our cast committed for season one. So I said, you know, let's, let's talk next year. And, and he had played pretty well at the end of the season uh, prior to this year and had won in Japan, sort of one of those crossover events. And, and so got on, we decided, let's try to tell the story of you making the Ryder Cup team. We sat down for our first interview with Keegan in January at Torrey Pines. And his first thing out of his mouth was the most important thing, more than winning another major, is me making this Ryder Cup team. It's, it's all I care about. Oh. I want to get back there. And, you know, that story from that moment on was, what can I do to put myself in a position where I qualify automatically, where I don't have to be a captain's pick? And then when it becomes clear he's going to have to be a captain's pick, how do I set myself up to make it unassailable that I'm that choice? And we filmed with him. He, he had said, yes or no, I want the cameras there all year. It doesn't matter if I make a team or not, I want the cameras there. And the day that Zach was making his captain's picks, we had a crew. We had, we had four crews, I think, in like three different states or four different states and three different time zones. I mean, it was a 
wild logistical um, puzzle to put together. But Zach was making the phone calls from Frisco at the PGA of America headquarters. And we had a crew down in Florida who had to get from Keegan's house to Ricky Fowler's house in 10 minutes. So Zach could make the call and, and he wasn't going to wait for us. It was sort of like, yeah. hold on for a second. We got to get across town to get to Ricky's <laughs> house, but he was not going to wait around. And we got to Keegan's house and he knew that we were coming, but we hadn't shown up. And that we find, come to find out, I get a frantic phone call that the, his address was misprinted on the call sheet. And so our producer was at the wrong house. So I call, had to call Keegan on his cell phone and say, Hey buddy, like, what's your address? We just, you know, I think we're just down the street. He gives me his correct address. And I said, all right, well, we're coming in with the cameras. He said, doors unlocked, come on in. I found out afterwards that getting that phone call, he assumed that it, that meant we were coming because it was a yes. So he got uh. his hopes up and the cameras roll in. We set up his phone rings and you know, he gets his heart broken in real time. And, and it's really visceral real scene and then unfortunately we had to get up and leave and get to ricky's house in the next 10 minutes so you know and he handled it like a true, true pro i think you couldn't watch that episode and then the follow-up episodes that continue to kind of tell keegan's story as the Ryder cup is played in rome without him uh it, without becoming a keegan bradley fan wow i cannot wait that that's like you said i mean the Ryder cup gives you these storylines that you know there aren't that many moments in golf where you know, where someone's sitting there like a draft pick, where you have that sort of drama. Um, that's, uh, I can't wait. I can't wait to see that. Um, so a lot of exciting stuff in season two. Um, going into season two. So once you've had success with a show in season one, do you feel the need to change something or add something or do something different? I mean, this happens with anything that anyone does in, in life or, or, or it happens at the golfer's journal or whatever. You know, you do something, okay, people like that. Um, what do I do next? What's the follow-up? So, so what was your approach going into season two of, do we need to change things or should we stick to the formula? I, I think we had this attitude that most important, we didn't want to have a sophomore slump. You know, these shows, right. yes, we, we had a lot of success with these season one. Uh, it reached a very broad, wide audience and was hugely successful by kind of all metrics that matter. And, we just wanted to make sure that season two was better than season one because, you know, who knows? You could, we could be a one-off hit. Like it could work once. It could never work again. I don't know. You know, so we went into the season with, you know, there's no guarantees. We went into the season saying like no sophomore slump. This is going to be the best episode of the season of this show we've ever made. And we're grabbing it, everything we got. And I think the other piece of that was we really did listen and learn. I mean, making a show like this, these are hard shows to make, you know, you shoot, 900 something hours, you edit it down to six hours. You got to make real commitments to stories. You got to make choices about who you're following. So we don't have enough time to edit it, you know, and just to shoot everything and then edit it for six months. We, we got to start editing concurrently as we're filming it in order to finish it. I mean, each episode takes between 15 to 20 weeks to edit. I mean, these are not short projects. So, um, and there's eight episodes and 35, 40 people on that post team, like figuring it out. And at some point we got to make a commitment to these stories and we got to kind of hope that they pay off. So you make some bets and we're just sitting around watching the results like everybody else, like with our cameras obviously rolling, but hoping that this bet we made on this story is actually going to pay off the way that we want it to pay off. And, 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 you know, we bet well and, and it's, and it's done so. And I think for, for us, for me personally, I heard a lot of the feedback from real golf, you know, hardcore golf fans about like the cut and some of that and how those stories were told. And I really wanted, we all really wanted season two to be really propulsive and narrative. And we really wanted it to pull you in and feel like more of a drama where 
there were episodes that had cliffhangers and it, not everything was wrapped up in a neat bow after every episode. And you'll see we released this teaser trailer uh, two weeks ago that has all the episode titles. And there's there's two two part episodes in season two, which is a lot. And, you know, those episodes have hard cliffhangers and and these the, the players who are featured in the show. You know, what's nice about making it again for the second season, we brought back a bunch of players from season one, but we've also added a few new players. And even the players that aren't heavily featured from season one, they still appear. You know, Tony Finau isn't profiled in season two the way he was in season one, but he pops up all the time. And it makes it really easy to introduce a new character like Tom Kim, for example, um, when you see Tom Kim interacting with this beloved character from season one. And, and all of a sudden you see Tony's validation and that validates Tom Kim. And, and so even even players that don't get the full POV treatment for season two, they help tell they help set the stage for the story. And we really wanted to feel like you're landing right in the universe the second you left it. So you can yeah. watch season one again and go right into episode one of season two from episode eight of season one and just feel like you haven't missed a beat. Like it's the season starts with Rory, number one in the world, you know, for FedEx Cup champion ready to take on the world. This is his year. And then you watch that, you know, unfold probably not at all as he was expecting missing the cut at Augusta, you know, not getting it done, watching his rival, you know, win the fifth major sort of beat him to five and then June six happens. And, you know, and that's the cliffhanger for episode one. And all of a sudden you're sucked in and you want to stick around to see what, how this all unfolds. Wow. Yeah. A lot, a lot happened this year now that I'm, I'm recalling it, listening to you. Uh, Was there a piece of, advice or criticism from season one that was the most valuable that you took into, I mean, you mentioned some things, you know, the talking about the cut, et cetera. Um, but was there something where you thought, okay, that's, that's very useful, insightful, and that'll, that'll sort of influence us going forward. I, I think it was less piece of advice. It was more, we saw what worked well and some of the stories to, to make a successful full swing episode or even any of these kinds of shows, you really need stories to have sort of a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I think a lot of our episodes from season one had begin, beginning, middles, and ends within the episodes. And I think what we've been able to do for season two is draw that drama out across the arc of the season. And I think it just makes it more compelling and, and propulsive and it pulls you through. And And the stakes were really high. And, I, you know, people forget during season one, the lived defections that happened were very much speculated upon. It wasn't a shock that you know, Bryson Sambo left. It wasn't a shock. I mean, people have been murmuring about Cam Smith after the open at St. Andrews for weeks. And so, you know, there wasn't a lot of surprise. There was still anxiety. And obviously there was this like formation of these, these two sides and this war in factions about what's the future of pro golf look like, but it wasn't a shock. June 6 was an absolute shock. It was, it was as shocking to the PGA tour players as it was, I assume to the live players and kind of everybody in golf. And and to have a moment in the early part of our season, and for us, you know, June 6th is still pretty early in the run of the show in terms of the story arcs and how we're filming, to have it an event that affects everybody equally that actually nobody has answers to and nobody can sit and look into the camera and say, like, I know what's going on because nobody did. It, it's, a, it's a kind of a gift for producers and for storytelling because it, it levels up the drama beyond the golf course and, and, and pays off kind of everything you've been seeing off the course and, and everything that people have been working for, working towards, and just gives all this new pressure to like what's going to happen. And, you know, you want any good story, you know, you from the from the time of people telling stories around fire fireplaces, you want or, you know, fires in the old times, whatever. It's like 
you want people leaning forward. You want to say, you know, I, I want to hear what's next because I don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, we got really early on a, a bomb dropped like that, that, that makes you want to lean in and say, what's going to happen to all these people that I've now come to really care about. Chad, I'm still leaning in. What the hell is going to happen from June 6th? <laughs> oh God, I uh, wish I knew. Right. So plenty to talk about a story arc continuing. Um, yeah, so if, if folks don't know what we're referring to, uh, so June 6th, the announcement of some sort of merger between Liv and PGA Tour or PGA Tour sort of uh, taking over Liv or swallowing up Liv. Who knows uh, what it actually, I mean, we know it was said, but who knows what, well, we'll we still don't know what, what that is going to look like. But you were there to get the reaction. So how much does Liv feature in season two? Did you go to Liv events or, um, you know, there are some Liv players uh, listed here that that I know we see Dustin's picture or image in, in the previews, etc. How much does Liv fi- figure into season two? Yeah, you can't talk about pro golf without talking about Liv. It's it's a fact of the of life now in professional golf. And so I think Liv features as heavily and as, as often and as really as it did in season one. Uh, you know, the for us, the plan going into the season was actually to try to like let that story settle for a minute because it didn't, it just felt like, okay, well, we're, they're going to have a season. The tour is going to have a season and the majors are where everyone's going to come together. And then we have the Ryder Cup. So we kind of set up the Ryder Cup beginning of our filming as this macro story that everything could potentially build to, uh, which is awesome about the Ryder Cup. And, and the, the sort of PIF announcement, the, the framework agreement, as it's referred to, not a merger, I've been told, uh, oh, is, yeah. is just something that, like, that, that just threw the beginning of the season into chaos and, and obviously had a massive emotional reaction from a lot of people that just made for really good just stakes raising for, for our cast. For, for us, it was important to continue to tell the story of some of the players from season one. So Dustin was a natural fit for that. You know, we, we had him in season one. He was excited about season two and we wanted to continue to sort of follow his story arc as he, you know, maintains and continues to be very kind of comfortable in his own skin in a way that only Dustin Johnson can be and, and ends up featuring very heavily in the, in the second episode that kind of centers around the U S open. So, you know, I'm excited for people to see that. And obviously these, there's great stories that are kind of all across pro golf. Uh, but you know, for us, it was important to make sure that we kind of kept going with some of those players and, and, you know, they're, they're heavily featured across the season. I don't think anybody would ever say there's not any live in the show or we glossed it over. It's, I mean, that's not the case. You just have to trust me and watch it. So tell us who is featured. You've mentioned some names already, but any new, the new exciting faces coming to season two full swing. So, you know, kind of in order, uh, Rory McIlroy heavily featured in the first episode. And I think, you know, Rory is unabashedly a superstar and in a, in a, not in a similar way to Brooks, but we got to see Rory at his highest and his lowest across the year. And I think his, his the way he handles himself, it doesn't matter if you're a fan of his or not. I think you're going to learn something new about Roy McIlroy. And, and I would hope you come away just with even more respect for him as, as a person, not just as a competitor. Cause I think he just was put in a very difficult situation and, and how he navigated it is a fascinating thing to see in real time. Uh, and then obviously gets to go on to be hero of uh, Ryder cup Europe. So uh, that's kind of the centerpiece story for episode one. We've got Ricky Fowler who is, is heavily featured in the season and, and Ricky is a player that we followed actually all year for the first season and, and, 
felt like his story didn't have an ending. And for a show like this, it's not really enough to have access to a superstar. You really need a beginning, a middle, and an end. And his story had a beginning and a middle, but it didn't have an end. And so we told his team that we actually were going to sit on it and, and hope, you know, and we knew he was going to win. We felt like he was on his way back. So we just said, if you trust us and let us keep going, we'll, we know he's going to get his payoff and that'll make it worth it. And sure enough, he gets into the final group at the US Open at LA Country Club and then goes on to win in Detroit. And instead of it being a six month story, it becomes a two year story and just the amount of emotional depth you can go into and you have that much access and that much context. And you saw the pressure he put on himself and, and that his family was feeling just in support of him is just, it's, it's awesome. And yeah. so, you know, Ricky's a new, a new cast member, um, Joel Damon and Wyndham Clark, incredible duo that you, maybe you wouldn't expect to find together. And, and that's one where I'll just say you should watch that episode because it's, it's incredibly powerful and, and one that I think I'm most proud of, of any of the episodes we've ever made. Uh, and that's kind of all say about that one. And then, you know, players like Tom Kim, players like Alex Fitzpatrick, Matt's brother. I mean, Matt heavily features again. Their interesting relationship is a between a brother and a you know two brothers, one that's a superstar and the other that's trying to come out from his older brother's shadow. Guys like Keegan and Justin Thomas and their fight to make that Ryder Cup team. And then obviously we get to Rome and you get to see inside the offices of Luke and Zach, two captains, and their differing approach to leadership and you know, how it all played out in Rome and, and the, the kind of cast of characters that form the heart and soul of those two teams. So it's a, it's a, it's a different, you know, it's some, it's, I think everything that people liked from season one, I think is back. The access is really real. The, the human stories are real, The you know, you'll laugh and hopefully tear up a little bit, but just the, the stakes and the propulsion and the cinematic nature of what we were able to get this year, given the fact that we had already done it once and the players have sort of really invited us in it, it is really special and our team is so proud of what we, what we were able to put on the screen. Can't wait to see it. You're, how about, I mean, it's tough to say, but are there favorite, gotta have some favorites, some players who, I don't know, you have, you're, you, you're more in touch with or have become friends through this. Um, you know, as a golfer, that's gotta be the best part of doing this, that you're like hanging out with the best players in the world. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it's awesome for sure. I, listen, they they're all they've all been great, honestly, to work with. And I I don't want to you know cop out of that answer because I'll I'll say that you know guys. Well, like then Joel tell Damon, us who I really think, sucks. No, just kidding. There's <laughs> yeah, who really sucks? I don't think there's not that many that really suck. They're honestly they the guys the people that we film with they get it. Um, Joel Damon is somebody that I think our entire team will be crying when he gets his next PGA tour win. I think there's nobody in the world that we will root for more as a team. And our, and our producers have gotten really close with his family and with Gino and like just that duo and how much they trust they put in us and how much they leaned in. And that's, there's real, there's real like friendship there. And, and um, I think when he gets back in the winner's circle, you know, uh, our team's going to be rooting for him, but Everybody has been great. I, I love, you know, I love Matt Fitzpatrick. He's just like the greatest guy and so funny and like sneakily witty and just the best. And, you know, DJ, there's just nobody cooler in the world with more just natural swagger than Dustin Johnson. You know, I just love DJ Rory. I mean, I've, I've always been a fan of Rory's and now I've just become almost in awe of him as a competitor, but even more as like a person, as a professional, as a, as a thoughtful leader. And, you know, leadership is, is tough. It's leadership can be extremely lonely and uh, golf's a sport that 
prides itself on individualism and, and doesn't take to individual leadership in a way that other team sports do. And Rory, Rory demonstrates like real leadership qualities that I think is, is something that we could all aspire to, um, you know, and, and I mean, everybody else is great. Uh, Ricky's great. Tom Kim's hilarious. He's just like the greatest, most honest, like just incredible budding superstar that has been fun to hang out with. And you get, you know, guys like, Justin Rose, who, you know, is just like hilarious and awesome and you're rooting for him. And you, you see him make a putt to draw a match of the Ryder Cup. And it feels like he just won the Masters. You know, it's just so much yeah. drama when you're in, in a Ryder Cup like that. So it's hard to pick. It really is hard to play favorites, honestly. And and nobody's there's not a lot of assholes out there, honestly. There's, <laughs> you know, the, the, we have our good times and our bad. And sometimes we're there with the cameras when they're not in a good mood and you know, and they just know we'll be back again the next day. So they might as well let us film it. Yeah, there you go. Take us behind the scenes a little bit. Um, this season, given the success of season one, does it mean you have more resources, more crews, more to coordinate from your perspective? Uh, you know, how is this thing? How is this thing made? So it's it's you know, we don't necessarily need more resources. I mean, the benefit of making a show for Netflix is it's very well resourced. Um, you know, we have an amazing team. I think it helps that, uh, our field crews had been out there for a year. They had relationships. We didn't have to reintroduce ourselves. There was a lot of general comfort with us being in the locker room and in these private spaces that historically cameras weren't allowed in all of a sudden we're just there again. And everybody's like, all right, well, this is how it's going to be now. So that's, so they've sort of accepted us into that world. You know, for us, it's really about, again, making these editorial choices about who, who to follow and what stories to tell. And you, you really, and I rely, you know, we rely on not, you know, it's not just me. It's a team effort. We have an amazing team. I work with the the producers at box to box. They're our production partner on this. They do shows like drive to survive and Breakpoint, and a bunch of other projects. And they're incredibly talented filmmakers, you know, from the UK. I think that actually was very helpful for us in our Ryder cup, you know, storytelling, because we had, basically half the team was in the U S half the team was in the, in London. And there was a lot of like arguing and almost we created a little rivalry between the producing teams. When we got to Rome, we're like, you guys are going to be in Europe outfits. We're going to be in USA outfits. We want like, it's a competition. Who's gets the best footage, you know, like team USA, like go get the better footage than Europe. Like they're talking shit. You guys beat them, you know? And so we, we created a little almost like filming writer cup that, that, that turned out great. And like, even in the edit, I think it kept that story very balanced because can't tell you how many times we pop into an edit and like the producers from Europe are like trying to make it look like the U S won this thing. Like they didn't, you know, so <laughs> we're like, yeah, you're right. So how do we balance the, the two sides of the stories? But um, you know, it's, it's just, again, we wanted season two to be more dramatic. We wanted to be more narrative. We wanted to be able to tell these cliffhanging episodes and we wanted to bring you deeper into this world. We felt like we, we opened the doors, we opened the curtain a little bit. We wanted to open it even more for season two. And we felt like we had the access to do that. And then it was just a matter of like making smart choices about the stories that we told, making sure that we had a beginning, a middle and end for each of these characters. And then, you know, being able to be there in the right, you know, you have to have a mix of luck and good planning to be there when you need to be there and to capture the moments and some of the most compelling stuff of the season. We just happened to have cameras there on a dramatic day or in a dramatic moment and we caught it and there was a lot of luck involved. And then other times, you know, we knew what was going to happen before it happened and we got our cameras there for captain's picks and things like that. So, you know, it's a mix of all of it. And, and, you know, these shows never get easier, but certainly the access we had coming out of season one um, really helped us, I think, make season two bigger and better. Can we look ahead? Can we talk about 
I mean, they're playing golf again, and uh, big tournaments right around the corner. Um, is there a season three? Nothing official. Uh, Netflix doesn't ever announce renewals or do real renewals until after a show premieres. So, um, you know, look, golf's happening. Last year, we we kept filming even before season one premiered, and, and Netflix didn't announce the season two pickup until I think a week after it premiered. Um, you know, I don't think it's any secret that our cameras are out filming, but we've not been officially picked up for season three. And I, I would hope that we get a chance to run it back again. And, and honestly, again and again and again, because I don't think that, you know, all of this drama that is professional golf is necessarily going to be resolved, um, you know, overnight. And, uh, I think that we've introduced a, a much broader audience to these athletes and to their, into their universe. And I think it's, um, it's a place where it's fun to spend time in. And I think it's just as fun for us. I hope it's just as much fun for the audience to kind of embed themselves in a world that is professional golf and the ups and downs and the challenges of it and the glamour and the, and the heartache and everything in between. I think it's uh, it's a world that I love living in and I, and I hope our audience does too. We all do. And you've done a great job of bringing it to us, Chad. Um, is there, you know, as a, someone telling stories in golf, is there an interest of, in looking at things beyond pro golf? Uh, you know, because one wonders, and we think about this all the time, um, you know, what is golf? And, and professional golf is, is, a, is a very small slice of what actually larger golf is. It is full of drama and storylines and personalities and superstars, which from a storytelling point of view is fantastic. Um, but do you ever wonder about how far that can go and where are other golf stories or the next golf stories? Yeah, I, I think that golf is an incredible cultural force in a way that it hasn't been since maybe like the fifties and sixties. I think golf yeah. is having a, a moment of real pop culture relevance. And a lot of that's taking place completely outside of the pro game. And, and, you know, there are a hundred, or whatever, there's 45 million golfers in the United States of America. There's a lot more all over the world. You know, more people are playing golf now than they have ever, that have ever taken up the game. That group is younger and more diverse and more male, female split than ever before. I think there's massive opportunity for storytelling in golf. I think that, you know, there's no other sport where you can go and play on the same, you know, field as the professionals do and actually be able to compare yourself to them. And, you know, sure, a lot of these golf courses are, private or inaccessible, but you can get out there and there are public courses that host events uh, that you can go and see how you stack up and you can play the same equipment. You can play on the same, you know, ballparks, basically. It's, it's really special. It's also the one sport that brings people together in a way that, as you know, as fans of golf, like I, you know, you sit around after a round at at a bar, uh, you know, sitting in the clubhouse somewhere and you've got people from all walks of life and all they want to do is talk about the best shots they hit that day, or, you know, they're paying off their bets and they're, living in the moment. I've, I've seen so many rooms in golf, whether it's in private clubs or in munis or at driving ranges where you've just got a group of people who would never be in the same room together if it wasn't for this great game of ours. And, you know, I, I hope that some of the, the pure joy of that comes across in the show with these professionals. Cause guess what? They do that too. There's a lot of scenes in this season too, where guys come off of, of a major in the final round, they're sitting around the locker room and they're just like reliving their shots, just like we would, you know, and they'll, how'd you see yeah. it? That one broke on me. It's like, oh, yeah, I saw it. You know, I, I missed that one, too. You know, that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, they're just like us in many ways. Then, And then golf in general, I think, just has 
a lot to give and a lot more to give from a storytelling perspective. You guys do it really, really well. And so much respect for the golfer's journal and, and how you do your storytelling. And I think that, uh, you know, I'd love to do a lot more in golf. I'd love to do more in, in kind of every capacity. I think there's way more stories to tell than just the stories of these professionals. You should come film an editorial meeting at the golfer's journal. If you want, if you want some drama and some action, some riveting drama, Brendan good pounding his fist on the table, you know, <laughs> both fists. He pounds both fists. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, we, uh, we love what you're doing. And I think you're right. The, the, the moments from season one, uh, those that are just like us moments were the coolest thing to me. You know, when you see Rory and Rom sit down for breakfast or whatever, you're like, really? Um, that's, uh, it's just very, it's, it's just very, very cool. And, and like you said, golf it gives you the things as a storyteller that you need. You know, those characters you're talking about, it gives you a, literally a beginning, a middle and end, a first tee and a final hole and all those things. So it, it is this great, uh, it gives you the, it gives you the, the fundamentals, the things that you need to, uh, to tell a story. So you've been doing it incredibly well with full swing. And I'm excited to hear that some of those arcs are going to be sort of drawn out because right. Cause season one, they were sort of, you know, here's the story. It's sort of, we get to act three at the end. Um, and there was a, but have storylines sort of drawn through the whole season. Uh, that is like, that's super exciting. I think people are going to get very excited about that. Well, I, I hope so. And, you know, it's coming out in eight days. So I hope everybody checks it out. You know, whether you liked season one or not, I, I, I really, I really think there's something for everybody in this season. I think that if you're a hardcore fan of professional golf, you're going to see stuff that you never thought you'd see. There's storylines that are going to come to light in this show that never got picked up by the press uh, with big name players. And I think, you, you know, that will drive a whole bunch of conversation. And then just the pure heartache that is golf where there's no more, there's no more individual sport, truly, you know, after all the talk of money and where people play and what they play for, it's still, you got to go out there and you got to hit the shots. And it's, it's ultimately quantifiable. And, you know, when the pressure's on, it's one person who has to take that club back. And, you know, the fact that um, that's in some ways somehow relatable to everybody else who just wants to play the game and who looks forward to their weekend tea time all week when they're sitting in their office. You know, I, I think that I, I hope the joy of the game comes through in the show. It's important to me that it does. Uh, and, and also, like, this is, a, this is meant for fans. You know, this show is... It's like it doesn't have a politics of pro golf. It's like it's about what happened. And I hope that everybody watches it and sees, you know, a true reflection of the kind of wild year that was last year. And and I hope it gives people talking about stuff that's more fun to talk about than, you know, how much guys are getting paid. Thanks for thank you, Chad. Thanks for what you're doing for golf. Thanks for the eyes you're bringing to golf. And thank you so much for your time. Great. Really enjoyed it. It's always a pleasure, Tom. Hopefully we can uh, run this back again next year i really hope so thanks for listening everyone and if you enjoyed this episode we strongly encourage you to become a member of the golfer's journal or if you already are to share it with your friends as a reader supported publication we couldn't do it without you we also couldn't do it without the help of our partners and they are titleist scotty cameron footjoy link soul omega charles schwab and bmw We'll see you next time on the Golfer's Journal podcast.